Welcome to Discovering the Old Testament, a series of podcasts exploring one of the primary sources of the Judeo-Christian tradition. I'm your host, Dr. Sheldon Greaves. Welcome to our first podcast. In this and subsequent sessions, we will explore the historical, cultural, linguistic, and religious background of the Old Testament, also known as the Hebrew Scriptures. These podcasts are based on a course presented at Stanford University in the summer of 2013, along with material developed for adult education seminars presented at Christ Church Episcopal in Portola Valley, California. Supplementary handouts and reading notes are available on our website. Tonight's objective is to give some basic background to find out a little bit about where we are in the Old Testament, how we got it, how it's organized, and some of the bigger problems in understanding its culture, history, and mindset from our modern perspective. I want to begin with a warning. We are about to enter a very strange world. If you go to the city of Jerusalem in Israel, you will sometimes hear about something called Jerusalem Syndrome. This is a colloquial term given to a condition that sometimes afflicts visitors to the Holy Land, and Jerusalem in particular. It frequently affects people who have had a very strong religious upbringing, but then fell away from their childhood faith, or it can affect people who have a very clear picture of Jerusalem in their minds, uh, even though they haven't ever been there. They find that the reality or the overwhelming weight of history and belief is simply more than they can handle. For a few days, usually somebody uh, with Jerusalem Syndrome believes that they are one of the characters from the Bible. Moses, John the Baptist, Mary, Jesus, God, or even Satan. Most people respond to treatment fairly quickly, and they're back to their old selves with a little more than a sense of bewilderment as to how that happened. The Israeli army is under standing orders to take people found wandering around in the desert dressed in a bedsheet to the local psychiatric hospital, which has become very adept at treating such cases. The reason I mention this is not because I think that these podcasts are going to prompt people to go wandering around in bedsheets, but because there is a danger when we come to something as foreign and as exotic as the Old Testament is. It's not what you think, and it's not what you expect. Don't cling too tightly to your expectations. The geographical setting of the Old Testament is the Middle East, what we today call the Middle East, and which scholars of antiquity sometimes refer to as the Near East or the Ancient Near East. Primarily, we're talking about a small sliver of land along the eastern coast of the Mediterranean, Syro-Palestine, or simply Palestine, today's modern-day Israel. To the north, we have uh, the Turkish peninsula, Anatolia, also known as Asia Minor. To the west, we have Mesopotamia, modern-day Iraq, Iran, and parts of Jordan and Syria. To the south of that, we have the Arabian Peninsula, and to the southwest, the African continent and the mysterious land of Egypt. These are the places where this massive drama plays itself out, and the cultures make themselves manifest on every page of this remarkable book. So what is the Old Testament? 
Well, it's probably best to begin by defining what the Old Testament is not, because this is where many misconceptions about the book originate. For one thing, it is not contemporary with the events described. Most of what you find written there was written long after the fact. It's also not a systematic theology or a doctrinal exposition, as we would understand the term. A lot is assumed on the part of the reader, and what statements are made about God and the universe are often made in passing, or incidentally, and you have to build up your world from the hints the authors leave behind. It is also not internally consistent. When you hear someone say that the Bible teaches thus and such, chances are it may teach one thing and it may teach also something else. Sometimes conflicting views can appear side by side, even in the same book of the Bible. It's the product of many different voices speaking from different perspectives that have all been redacted together. It is not a history. It is not historical in the same sense that we think of history. The Bible often comes under criticism for being a non-historical book, which is kind of unfair. It's a little bit like saying that Hamlet is an unhistorical play because it doesn't give a clear picture of medieval Denmark. Well, it does contain a lot of history, the Bible at least. Much of it is verifiable or at least testable. But the history we find there serves to make a point rather than to convey empirical facts. This is typical of a lot of ancient and, frankly, modern literature. History is story. It's made to serve a larger moral or rhetorical point. The Bible is also not what we would call complete. There are a number of books mentioned in the Old Testament that are missing and, frankly, presumed lost. For example, the Book of Jasher, is one book that is mentioned. Another is the Book of the Wars of the Lord. Have you ever heard of the Book of Shemaiah the Prophet? Me neither. At least I've never seen one. Neither has anyone else. The Book of Edo, the Seer, the Acts of Solomon, the Annals of King David, the Book of Nathan the Prophet. All of these are books that are mentioned, and the reader is in fact referred to them for additional information. But we have no extant copies no one has any idea what these books say. We also don't know whether any of these books are quoted incidentally in other parts of the scripture, something that was frequently done in the ancient world. The Old Testament is also not what we would call evangelical. It's not intended to win converts. People didn't go from door to door asking if you wanted to uh, become a worshiper of Yahweh. At best, one can say that it describes what life is like as a worshiper of Yahweh. How does this God work? How does he think? It's also not a finished guide to living. It's an effort to get it right after things went horribly, horribly wrong. And we'll talk about that in much greater detail later. You could say that it is a data dump or just a collaboration of different voices trying to explore how to live and why the Israelite nation failed to live up to the expectations of the covenants they had received from God. The Old Testament is also not a static text. It has a history. It's been considered, interpreted, reinterpreted, laden down with all kinds of traditions that served particular communities at particular time. Part of the task of the 
biblical scholar is to identify and pare away these extraneous traditions so that the text can speak for itself. That said, these extra traditions also have their own story to tell about the communities that have used the Old Testament as a religious document and a guide. It's also not a standalone document. It is at the center of a vast array of commentaries, collections of stories, and other supplemental material that forms the basis of much of the interpretation of the Old Testament, both in Judaism and Christianity. Last but not least, it is not to be taken literally. There's a wonderful story that, in, that illustrates this point. It's about a debate between a Jewish scholar, Sadia Gaon, and a Karaite scholar. The Karaites were people who insisted on taking the Torah, the Bible, literally, word for word. The debate was over the question of an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Sadia insisted that this meant compensation, not a literal removal of one eye for another eye. The Karaite, his opponent, insisted no, it had to be one for one, at which point Sadia stumped his opponent by suggesting how are you going to punish someone who blinds another person if the offender is himself blind? The Karaite had no answer. Relying too much on a strict literal interpretation can lead you into some intellectual blind alleys. Besides, the Old Testament is a very nuanced book. If you are too literal in your reading, you'll miss some of the real gems. Even though we've talked a little bit about what the Old Testament is not, we still need to talk a little more about the ancient mindset before we can go forward and talk about what the Old Testament is. It's hard to imagine a world more different, a worldview more different, than the one held by most nations and individuals in the ancient Near East. This was a time that didn't understand laws of cause and effect as we know them. They certainly didn't subscribe to the idea of an intellectually intelligible universe, let alone one in which nature can be described by mathematics, or one governed by immutable, impersonal, natural laws. However, they did believe, as we do, that things happen for a reason. One of those reasons, or the main reason, you might say, was because there was not so much one god as many gods. There were demons, there were spirits, they were active, and they were part of nature. It was not something where the gods and the demons were all centered around a person's life. They were just doing their own thing, and as often as not, the poor person got in the way, or just happened to get stepped on uh, while these other beings were off doing their own thing. There was also a belief in magic, in words. Words were believed to have power. Names were believed capable of shaping destinies. And if someone knew the right words and knew how to use them, they could do some pretty remarkable things. 
We also have to draw a distinction between official religion and popular religion. Official religion was part of the state, it was part of the governing apparatus, but ordinary people tended to be a lot more flexible in how they regarded the religious world. In other words, borrowing among religious traditions and sharing ideas, syncretism is the technical name for it, was common and was responsible for introducing a lot of foreign practices uh, from one religious tradition into another. The institutional religion of Israel and the prophetic voices battled constantly against the influence of foreign religious ideas from the Canaanites, the Babylonians, the Egyptians, and other foreign religious cults. Since it's clear that the ancient Israelites had a very different view of how the world worked, it should come as no surprise to us that they had a different view about history. And we're going to talk about that next as part of our discussion of the ancient mindset. For the most part, when we talk about uh, history, we talk about why things happened and trying to get things factually correct. This was less of a priority in the ancient world for a very good reason, and that is that history was not a question of why things happened the way they did so much as it was a tool for making a point. Now, that means that things sometimes appear to be pretty fast and loose history-wise, at least from our perspective, and that has led to some interesting chronological and historiographical problems. For our part, we're going to use the dates and chronologies as the Old Testament lays them out, with a few adjustments informed by modern scholarship. Now, that's not to say that the biblical dates should be accepted without scrutiny, or that the pictures are exactly as the Bible uh, describes. For example, Exodus is uh, described in the Bible rather like a Cecil B. DeMille epic with the cast of thousands, but without the anachronistic music, overacting, and over-the-top costumes and makeup. But the archaeological picture is much different. It shows almost no proof of a single mass migration. Some scholars believed that Exodus happened as a series of waves, migrations, small ones, or even that most of the Israelites, in fact, spent the entire Egyptian uh, captivity in Israel. In other words, that there was never anything like the Exodus, and that the story is more theology than history. Its objective was to make a point. But we need to at least give a nod to the traditional dates and stories, even when they are wildly wrong, as far as we can tell. If we dwell on these discrepancies, we risk missing what the text is trying to tell us. This brings us to the question of myth. Myths are stories that we use to explain why the world is as it is. Academics, and particularly those of the so-called biblical minimalists, are notorious for wanting to explain away any historical basis for the myths, the stories, particularly national or ethnic myths. They have a tendency to assume that ancient personalities are myths or legends, and that major historical events were not uh, the driving force behind the myths that describe them and have come down to us. This presents a couple of problems. For example, where Moses and the Exodus are concerned, this is as a problem because, as I mentioned, the physical or textual evidence for Moses and the Exodus, or even the sojourn in Egypt, are pretty much lacking. And 
also the highly magical character of Israel's liberation is a problem for those of us for whom only the laws of physics are sacrosanct. An additional problem is that the Sinai Covenant is founded in something that happened historically. If there was no Sinai experience, where did this come from? Another example of this problem of myth over history is the Battle of Jericho. The city of Jericho has been identified and thoroughly excavated, and we now know that during this time that is ascribed to Joshua and the conquest, the city was uninhabited. No one was living there, so it could not have fallen to an Israelite assault, as the Bible claims. A good counterexample concerns uh, the question of the reality of great figures of the Old Testament, David, Solomon, and so forth. Were they real characters, or were they mythical? It turns out that at Tel Dan, an archaeological excavation in the north of Israel, during the 1993-94 excavation, they discovered an inscription that explicitly makes reference to the House of David. The inscription is dated to pretty much the time of David, and it greatly strengthens the idea that David was a historical person. A famous biblical scholar, John Bright, had an interesting comment on this. He once said that someone had to rally the tribes and unite them, persuade them to embrace Yahweh, not just as one God among many, but as the only true God, as a God who demanded not just belief, but a particular mode of conduct according to his law. And to deny that role to Moses, he claimed, would force us to posit another charismatic Israelite leader of the same name. If there had been no Moses, Israel would have had to invent one and according to the biblical minimalist school, they did. Figures such as Moses and Abraham do not have clear, unambiguous proof that they lived. However, the study of ancient history is littered with examples of mythical figures who were later shown to have actually existed. In the case of Moses, the cultural imprint on Judaism left by this figure is so deep and so profound that for my part, I'm very hesitant to dismiss his existence just because we don't have his social security number or long-form birth certificate. That said, it's also clear that the early Israelites believed in a kind of mythical time when things happened and existed in a way that was totally unlike the world as they would have experienced it. Talking snakes and that sort of thing. They also, I believe, understood that this mythical time was as much metaphor as it was any kind of reality. Now that we've spent a few minutes talking about the mindset of the ancient world, perhaps it's time to answer the question, if we know what the Old Testament isn't, isn't it about time we said what the Old Testament is? And I suppose this is as good a time as any. The short definition is that the Old Testament is an attempt to understand the failure of Israel to keep God's law and covenant. And as we get further into this series, we'll describe a little bit more about what that means, about things like law and covenant. That's something for next time.
Discovering the Old Testament is a presentation of Lafco's Press of San Jose, California, and the California Institute for the Study of Antiquities. Join us again next time as we delve deeper into the mysterious and exotic world of the Old Testament. Thank you.